it's not helpful to be really good at doing something that does not matter to your customers. So whoever you're defining as your customer, whoever you're targeting, those are the things you want to be excellent at. So in my case, when we had the wheel company, design was important, service was really important, and we were excellent at those things. Low cost was not important. We were not the low cost provider. So we were not excellent at that. So I think when you're looking at excellence, you've got to be really careful not to try and achieve it at everything because you have limited resources. You have limited human and you have limited capital resources. So you want to be really good at the things that matter to the customers that you're targeting. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for listening. We've got another one of my favorites. I don't know what's happening. Each show seems to get better and better from my point of view, but I'm not the audience. Today, we have Terrence Schechter, CEO of Checker Prop. You've never heard of it. Two million square feet investment and development company. But prior to that, the founder of TSW Wheels. If you like wheels, you know TSW, Black Rhino, 16 other brands, the second largest wheel manufacturer and distributor in the country. Terrence has a finance background from South Africa. He's going to talk about excellence is being the best at what matters to your customers. Haven't heard that one before. And let go of the rest. He's going to talk about taking risk, but knowing your way out. And especially for you 20-somethings, this is important. He's going to talk about it's not a destination. It's about the journey. We've got a great show. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, Terrence Schechter, thank you so much for making time, for coming off the mountain, off those blue runs you have mastered, or coming off the beach during your relaxation time of early retirement to join the show. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're going to get into uh, your early retirement because a lot of the audience, I don't know if you know this, Terrence, but mm, 20%, something like that, 20% of 20-somethings want to make a bunch of money and retire on their individually made wealth by 35. So we're, we try to paint the more accurate picture of how that works. And I know you did pretty well and you built a business and you were able to move on and retire quote, but we're going to talk about the reality of what retirement means and the reality of the age when you retire and how you don't really retire. We'll get into your uh, real estate business, but before we do anything, we always start off with your definition of excellence. Terrence Schechter, what is your definition of excellence? So I think in the context of business, um, Excellence is what matters to your customers. You know, it's not helpful to be really good at doing something that does not matter to your customers. 
So whoever you defining as your customer, whoever you targeting, those are the things you want to be excellent at. So in my case, when when we had the wheel company, design was important, service was really important, and we were excellent at those things. Low cost was not important. We were not the low cost provider. So we were not excellent at that. So I think when you're looking at excellence, you've got to be really careful not to try and achieve it at everything because you have limited resources. You have limited human and you have limited capital resources. So you want to be really good at the things that matter to the customers that you're targeting. Okay. So it's basically do really well in what your customers care about equals excellence. Correct. Yeah. And really well is good enough? No, you, you want to be the best at it without necessarily just constantly looking at your competition. You want to be the best at what you think matters to your customers. On the flip side, because you have limited resources, don't pursue the things that you know don't matter to your customers. It's sort of like a basis of strategy. You know, somebody said nothing is more useless than doing well that thing that should never have been done at all. So really important is to to think of you know what matters to your customers and be really good at that. Okay, so that's a really I've done a lot of these shows. And for some reason, the last three episodes, everybody's kind of turned a corner and come up with new definitions. And I'm liking them more and more. So your unique element is focus on the customers. And then I think it's really important. You have to let go of what doesn't matter. And that, I mean, you could be listening to this at 1.5 speed in your car right now and thinking, oh, my English class doesn't matter. No, you got to get through college and be excellent in college because college matters. But when you get out of college and you hear on the show a lot, you have to specialize. So you as a person have to specialize in what you're great at and let other people do the things that you're not great at. When you're working with your customers, you only need to be great at what matters to them. Being excellent is not about having ADD. Now, Terrence, you and I have a great friend named Mike Cato who has ADD. He doesn't listen to the show, so we can talk as much trash about him as, as we want. And, you know, if you're ADD and you're moving around and you're making the greatest wheel and you're trying to be the lowest cost and you're trying to put it in Kmart where none of your customers go, it's a waste of time. So being excellent, be, being the best at what matters to your customers and letting everything else go because you have limited resources. Correct. Yeah, I think that sums it up well. So before we get into uh, your early life, and I think people by now can tell that you are a transplant. And if you watch the show Yellowstone, a transplant is someone that moved to a different country. Terrence came to the United States, came from South Africa and created a ton of jobs while he was building. I think that either the biggest or the second biggest wheel company in America, TSW, probably heard of TSW, probably heard of Black Rhino, he started buying real estate. And a lot of our listeners want to become real estate moguls. They watch a little bit too much flip and flop. And I saw her driving around in her Bentley yesterday. I see her all the time, by the way. You see her all the time? She's hard to miss in her white Bentley. (laughs) Terrence learned real estate over the course of many, many years. So by the time he sold his business, he was ready to be a real estate investor. And that's usually the method. You don't get out of college and get a bunch of money. We've had some wholesalers on here so you can do it with other people's money. But a lot of people will build businesses and start to buy their 
their industrial buildings that they operate out of and learn real estate over many years. And one of the things Terrence said to me, Terrence and I went to Park City. Um, I give uh, free ski lessons to my buddies. And so Terrence wanted to take advantage. Unfortunately, he provided nothing but groomed runs. So we didn't get to get too deep into it. But one of the things Terrence said, because when we talk about this on the show, surround yourself with people that are doing better than you. And so I went with Terrence, he's done a little bit better than me. And he says to me, hey, a lot of people sell their business and make bad investments and lose all their money. So Terrence knew he could go into real estate because he'd been practicing for many years. So real quick, TSW, before we get it, ah, you know, we'll do it the normal way. Let's go way back to Cape Town. You went to high school in Cape Town, right? No, I grew up in a small town on the East Coast called East London. Oh, I've been to East London. Okay, so tell us what life was like in East London. What were you doing in high school? Were you kicking butt? Were you slouching? What was life like? Um, life was great. It was like a small coastal town about the size of San Luis Obispo. Was was on the coast, so life was good. Uh, I worked as a lifeguard through high school and college. Um, it was a great place to grow up back then. And school was good. I was pretty academic. I was always good at math. Um, so school school wasn't too challenging for me. Enjoyed playing sport. Was never really good at it. Rugby was the big sport. I was never large enough to play rugby. But all around that was- By the way, there's one advantage to being large. And I know you're very physically fit. And I know my wife has a baking business, so I'm handicapped. The one advantage on downhill sports, you go faster. That's the one That's the one and only advantage. So you weren't very large. You couldn't play rugby. You focused on math and academics. Keep going. I like to interrupt, by the way. Keep going. No, no, that, that's fine. So, yeah. Although you don't really go that fast downhill, man. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Don't listen to him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, that just might be a lack of courage. But anyway, um, <laughs> so, yeah, so after high school, I, I actually I was always interested to spend some time in America. So I actually became an exchange student after high school and I spent a year in Minnesota in high school, which I really enjoyed. Played a lot of sport. Uh, was, it was a, was a great experience because I was going from sunny South Africa to Minnesota, I landed in January. Um, so had a really good time. Had you ever seen that sort of weather before in your life? Not even close. Had you ever seen snow before? I'd seen a little bit of snow, but I mean, you literally couldn't even buy the correct clothes in South Africa. They're just not available. You can't get the right jacket. So I, I arrived in South Africa, I mean, in Minnesota, underdressed and, um, ran out, bought some warm clothes, uh, but had, had a good time. I spent a year there. After that, I went to college in the university of Cape Town for four years was a good experience, studied business science and majored in finance and accounting. So I, I think the one thing that that's really helped me through my career is my understanding of finance and accounting. So no matter what industry you find yourself in, I spent nearly my entire career in basically a design industry, designing um, custom wheels, which is really, you know, it's a fashion business. So, but my background in finance and accounting was hugely successful, even the time I spent studying statistics, analyzing inventory movements, all of those different things. So, you know, what I tell most young people is you've got to understand an income statement and balance sheet. If you don't understand an income statement and balance sheet, you're going to be in real trouble. And you've got to understand um, financial metrics and all those things. So th that was an enormous help. I spent my first year out of college. I, I went to work for Deloitte and Touche in their um, corporate finance division. And, you know, I learned to... A bit there, I really didn't enjoy that kind of work. 
didn't enjoy the environment and the culture and and left after one year. Okay, so backing up a little bit. uh, First of all, we just kind of explain the geography. If you haven't been to South Africa, I believe the longitude is the same as California. Is it longitude or latitude? I didn't study science that much. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure, but the weather's very similar. So um, Cape Town, Cape Town has magnificent weather. It's got beautiful sunny summers and you know wet, rainy winters, similar to Southern California. I believe, I, excuse me, I believe the longitude of Cape Town, it's in the Southern Hemisphere, is the same as Laguna Beach, where you live part time in the Northern Hemisphere. So Cape Town, think Southern California without the snow capped mountains, and Minnesota think the North Pole. So you went from Cape Town, you took a gap year then. You took a gap year between high school and college? Um, it wasn't a gap year. I was I was in high school in Minnesota. Oh, you t- was it your senior year? No. So just basically the way uh, it was the Rotary Exchange, the way it works is you repeat your senior year in a different country. Well, that's one. That's a good way to get good grades. <laughs> but yeah, the grades didn't really matter. Grades in Minnesota don't help you get into university in Cape Town. Um, but the high school was a lot tougher in South Africa. Was uh, you know basically you you write exams and and those exams get you into college. And so there's there's you don't you don't have to like your kids are going to have to be athletes and they're going to have to do um, community service and they're going to have to have jobs and they're going to have to have good grades. In other countries, it's all about the test, right? Yeah. Then it was mostly driven by the tests. It wasn't. I think it's it's still hard to get into. So the, the difference is you don't get into the, the college as much as you get into the degree. So if you want to get into med school, because the way it starts there, you know, you go into med school straight out of high school. So it, it's more about what degree you get accepted into, what course you get accepted into. So you, you need real, back then, I don't know what it is today, but you need a pretty good grades to, to get into university. Okay, so you did you did well academically. You were doing well in math class. You did this extra study abroad. Probably uh, that would have helped a lot in the U.S. to get into college. You end up in a great college. You're that math mind. Now, I, I talk to a lot of people that are finance majors and then they, you know, they like business. and They want to switch to marketing majors. Don't. I talk to people that are engineers and they like business and they want to go into management. Don't. And, you know, I'm not a, a, a science minded type person. You can take a discord. What do you know? Do you know your discord, Terrence? I don't know. OK, so he's probably a D.C. So he's got that C, that math mind with the driver. And, you know, if you don't have the math mind, it's going to be hard to major in finance. But if you're already majoring in finance, stay. If you're not majoring in finance because you're having a a tough time, it's not the way your mind thinks. It's still, as Terrence said, a great idea when you're in college to take some finance classes to understand the income statement, the balance sheet. And I find the more you understand about finance, the easier it is to do deals. So deals are when you're buying real estate and selling real estate. Terrence does that now or buying and holding. You've got to understand the math. Real estate is a math equation. I have a bunch of real estate and I don't think we're very good at it because we don't do the math the right way. So we have a new CFO that's going to do the math the right way for us. And we're going to hire that finance person. But if you want to go into real estate after some sort of a business career, it's important that eventually you understand the mathematics behind it. So you knew that. You get into consulting. What what was it that you didn't like about consulting at Deloitte & Touche? So I was in the corporate finance department and most of corporate finance back then, I don't know how it 
is today, I assume it's pretty similar, is doing sort of um, due diligence acquisition audits. So you, you're going in. You're just crunching uh, numbers all the time. Well, you, you're verifying numbers, you're verifying data when there's being an acquisition made. So it, you know, it, it wasn't super exciting. Also, I was straight out of college, so I'm as by far the most junior person on the team because corporate finance at Deloitte back then was a lot of more senior people. So I was spending a lot of time at the photocopying machine. Um, <laughs> so I wasn't, I wasn't having a great time. Um, I preferred a more creative entrepreneurial environment. So it's a great company, Deloitte, but, um, you know, it, it wasn't for me. So we're, we're going to clean up our language since the last show that we had. We had someone on here with some foul language. Terrence Schechter is nobody's grunt. Now, I could take that grunt word out and put a different word in, but I know your kids are going to listen to it. Terrence Schechter never has been and never will be a grunt. So you're in a grunt job. And we talked on my last show. Everybody's got to go mow lawns, wait tables, have crap jobs to learn how to interact with people, to learn communication, to learn what hard work is. When you get out of school, you got sick of being a grunt. You probably did pretty well in college, right? Um, yeah, not, not too bad. It was, a, it was a very challenging degree that I did. I did business science at the University of Cape Town. I remember when we started, it was 400 people started and 80 graduated after four years. So and the, the way the system worked, basically, if you failed, I think it was more than one course in a year, they threw you out. So it, it was a tough degree academically, but um, yeah, so I, I did fine. I graduated in four years. Graduated in four years. And, and when you take Terrence's word of fine, that means excellent. Uh, we talked in the last show about humility. Terrence is humble. So I'll translate from your South African vocab into basic American English. Terrence did very well in college. You don't get into Deloitte and Touche if you didn't do well. And you're working at Deloitte and Touche and you leave after a year and you somehow partnered up with people that had a, I believe it was kind of a floundering wheel business that was a big brand in South Africa, and you somehow brought it to the U.S. So real quick, tell us how you ended up uh, bringing TS, the, the, you didn't found the brand TSW, but you brought it to the U.S. and founded it here. How did that work? Correct. Yeah. So, so TSW actually was doing very well in South Africa, and they were doing very well in the U.K. They had a chain of retail stores and several factories in South Africa. Um, so what they want to do was expand into the U.S. And through a family friend, I knew the chairman, TSW was a public company in South Africa. Wait a second. Flag throw, flag throw. Not many people that listen to this show, besides Sean Baldwin, were lucky sperm. So were you lucky sperm growing up? No, no, I wouldn't describe that. How do you know the CEO of a huge company if your parents aren't crushing it too? So, no, my, my dad was a dentist. He did very well as a dentist, but I, I wouldn't describe myself as lucky sperm. So you weren't, you weren't, you weren't Sean Baldwin spoiled. <laughs> so, yeah. It's okay to bag on Sean Baldwin on the show. We do it every time. Yeah, no, not, not lucky sperm financially. I suppose it's a lucky sperm ah, genetically. So. Ah, great parents that raised you well. You were introduced to this guy. Well, we digress a little bit. Uh, you're introduced to this guy and then continue with your story. Yep. So what had happened, I had a couple of cousins who were racing drivers and he, the guy had in a former life been a racing driver. So he knew my cousins and they, they were family friends. And so I actually, I, I met him the first time, I think when I was working as a lifeguard and he flipped a boat in the ocean and I went to help him. And anyway, so 
long story short, they wanted to open up in the US. I, I just left Deloitte and then I, I was setting off to go to Europe for a, probably about a year just to work and backpack. And then I was in London actually working construction, which, which I enjoyed, by the way. I, I really enjoyed working construction. I was dirt poor, um, but I was enjoying the work. He called me and basically said, look, we're, we're ready to open up in the US if you're ready to stop screwing around in London. So I got on a plane, came to California, and um, basically a couple of months later, we opened the business. And the, the objective at first was to import the product and, and distribute it which we did, uh, grew it very nicely for several years uh, until, gosh, I think it was like uh, nine, about 1999 or so when I, I decided to leave the company and start an internet company. It's when the internet was in its early days and raised a bunch of capital, did a venture which sort of petered out when NASDAQ crashed, we, we were unable to raise any more money in about 2000. In the same time, I came back to TSW. They, they asked me to come back and run it again and with a view to buying them out. They, were, they wanted to sell the company. After I left, um, TSW was struggling. And we agreed that I would buy the company in 2001, which I did. And I came back and ran it. And it was pretty small back then. I think we we're doing five or $6 million. And then started growing it again until... And grew it every single year, except for, I think we had a down year in, in the recession in 08. We went slightly down. We never lost money ever again for the last 20 years. And eventually in 2020, sold it to my largest competitor. They were number one and we were a, a very distant number two sort of in the sector. And, and now you're a real estate mogul. Yeah. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of this show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com slash podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com slash podcast. Now, back to the show. There's different types of people. You know, I, I kind of all my life was an overachiever. Um, a lot of people that end up pretty successful later in life were overachievers all their life. Other people may have had an epiphany and turned, but it seems to me, you know, you go to this great school, you get out, you work for a great company, Deloitte and Touche. How long were you in London doing the construction thing? Oh, just a few months. That, that was not long. Just baffling that some dude, you must have been one special kid. So you're in your early 20s. And some dude calls you up and says, hey, this, by the way, if you're listening right now, this never happens. So don't put all your eggs in this basket. Some very successful CEO of a company calls you up and says, hey, 
How about you move to a third country and start my business up there? Yeah, I guess if you put it that way, that happened. Yeah. Have you ever stopped to think that that's a little crazy? How old were you? I was 24. Okay, so you exit your comfort zone a lot. You know, you do things that are comfortable over and over and over again. You're not going to hit mega home runs. So you uncomfortably go to Minnesota wearing shorts and a T-shirt. Probably pretty uncomfortable to move to England. Very uncomfortable to leave a company like Deloitte and Touche. And then super uncomfortable. You're going to get into a totally different industry and move to a totally different country. And you're setting up an importing and distribution business. So you came to America not as a manufacturer, not as a retailer. TSW said manufactured and retailed. You came to America to bring a product in from another country and then distribute it to retail stores. So you became a relationship person and kind of a salesperson getting your wheels stocked in a better location of the tire center or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so in the, in the beginning, that's exactly what we were. And it was quite hard. I mean, I knew nothing about the industry and I was basically going door to door to tire shops selling the product. But after I purchased the company outright in um, 2001, what we did is we purchased the brand from the, the company in South Africa. And then we started building our own brands. In the end, when we sold, I think we were at 12 brands or so. But we then shifted the manufacturing to China and started doing all of our own design. So, so then we were able to make the product that was right for the US market. And we also exported probably 25% of the product to other markets around the world. Ironically, we, we, stopped, we ended up selling product to the South Africans themselves that, that we had bought the brand from because we, we became very good at design and fitment. And the other thing that we were good at, we were and this is really important for young people starting out is we were willing to take risk. And so we, we took a lot of product development risk and we took a lot of risk on inventory that, that really paid off. A good example was in the recession and, um, you know, when things really crashed in like 07, 08, everybody was pulling back. They were stopping product development. They were cutting out on inventory. We went the other way and we expanded and, and we bounced right out of that in like five minutes because, you know, what happens often in those environments becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think things are really bad, you cut back and then you make things really bad. We went the other way. But I think also on the real estate side, what I was willing to do was also take risk over there. We leveraged a lot. I had to personally guarantee a lot of the debt. And we took on a, a fortune of debt in order to establish our distribution centers and build our inventory. And in the end, that, that risk paid off. You know, obviously, when things don't go well, that, that debt will eat you alive. But the important thing is where people do well is by taking risk. Hard work will only get you so far. Eventually, you're going to have to take some risk. And some risk is stupid risk, right? And you know, Terrence and I like to do sports. Uh, we're going to go mountain biking on Sunday. We're pretty good, but we're not going to go down a Red Bull cliff because that risk might kill us. I tell my kids, I want you to do things where you might get hurt but not where you might get killed. And it's the same thing for business. You're exiting your comfort zone, right? And, and back to your definition of excellence, you became really good at design. You were already really good at distribution. So you add another element to your core competency. Now you're design and distribution, but you didn't build factories. You outsource that. 
you let someone else do the actual manufacturing. And it's not that it doesn't matter. It's delegating something that does matter. You're excellent in design. You can't be excellent in everything. And in your definition, you said, do really good at what matters to your customers and let go of what doesn't matter. You need to do really good at what matters to your customers. Let go of what doesn't matter and delegate the things that someone else would be more excellent at. So you got someone in China. I know you supervise them. I know they're your factories. I know you're going there, but uh, you're delegating that and you're taking calculated risks in a couple areas. Then you start your distribution centers. You decide, you know what? I probably should own these things instead of rent them, but you're taking calculated risks. You've got a finance degree. You spent a year studying deals and analyzing the numbers. You had that experience. So you had somewhat of a core competency in understanding what real estate would be good real estate. You had some core competency in understanding how much inventory is not way, way, way too much coming into a recession. Um, how do you calculate these risks when you're exiting your comfort zone? Yeah, I think that there's several factors. You know, like, like if you take the real estate as an example, we buy a building, we were typically the tenants. So, and we know what our financial condition is. So we know that we're going to be just fine. So in, in those instances, you know, we, we have an advantageous position, but also when I was buying inventory along the way, I, I focused on industrial buildings because, you know, that's what I'd spent my whole life in industrial distribution buildings. So I really understood those buildings. I could walk into a building in five minutes and see if it's a good building or bad building. Whereas, you know, when I purchased um, retail real estate, I'm not a retailer, N not a good place to be. I don't really understand, you know, all the little innuendos about retail. So, so those were, you know, typically not things that we pursued. And, and yeah, absolutely. I think like if you use a mountain biking analogy, when you go down a hill, you got to know, you know, your way out. You got, you got to like, know like, hey, if this doesn't work, I'm going to go here. If this doesn't work, I'm going to go there. So I, th I think the same applies in business and investing is, you know, you, you got to think, what if things go wrong? You got to sort of stress test the, all the different scenarios in your head that, you know, if things turn sideways, this is how you're going to resolve it. So you're, you're kind of dancing around the concept of core competency, which uh, my buddy Scott gave a speech one time at Oakley and I was sitting in the front row and I went, oh, my God, I totally blew the core competency. So to your real real estate analogy, you know, we own buildings that our construction company occupies. We know who the tenant is. We know the rent's going to be paid. We know exactly what we need. And after doing that for a few years, you can understand how to buy a similar building to fill with similar businesses. You got to know if the business is going to be able to pay rent. You got to know the location. You don't go off and buy 22 VRBOs in Savannah, Georgia, and hope it works out. Or another example of me blowing it, you know, I'm in the construction business. I'm in the training business. And I went into the chemical business and developed a, a cleaning company. What wasn't the same customers, wasn't the same process. And I'm back to being 21 and learning all over again. So Terrence is just over 50 years old. Um, there's 30 years of learning to be an expert in industrial real estate, building on each experience. And I know you never lost money in a year, but you probably had some things where you didn't make as much money or an individual area of your company that lost money and you get stung and you learn. So risk, knowing your way out, also calculated risk, 
uh, having some some safety lines. You didn't go buy space shuttle manufacturing real estate in Nebraska. You didn't go buy skyscrapers that were office complexes in Long Beach. You started your real estate investing based on what you knew. You came to America. You were good at distribution. You knew you could add another core competency design. And you slowly over time, as Scott Olivet said, make baby steps. And what he said about Oakley was he said, I came to Oakley and they had sunglasses, shoes, watches. They totally lost their way. And Oakley is a good example because everybody knows it. they paired back and they focused on just sunglasses. And then they started to be, they went from men's sports sunglasses to women's sports sunglasses to men's lifestyle glasses. They didn't go from glasses to watches. And Terrence didn't go from industrial real estate to New York skyscrapers. It's a whole different ballgame. So for the over the course of your life, you're building this knowledge base that you're building on and building on and building on to where you become excellent. So he became excellent at investing in real estate through 20 years of trial and error. He became excellent at wheels from being a distributor and then buying this brand of being a design distributor. And I'm sure you had issues with manufacturing at first, delegating the important things that you're not good at, getting rid of the things that don't matter to your customers. Any comments on core competency? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, that, that's accurate, accurate there. You know, for, for us in the distribution business, we would outsource the transport because we, we didn't want to invest money in transport. We, we outsource manufacturing, which is a massive investment. But at the same time, what we really were good at was picking the manufacturers. So we would go and we'd pick the highest quality manufacturers that we could find in the world. We, we had sourced in South Africa, we had sourced in Italy, we had sourced in the US, we had sourced in China, Malaysia, we'd sourced all over the world. And we've came up with a handful of what we felt were the best quality suppliers in the manufacturers in the world because quality was really important to our customers. We were making we had brands for Porsche and brands for Range Rover and Mercedes and BMW. They were targeting those vehicles specific. And in those instances, quality is critical. And that that we were we were good at selecting those manufacturers and you know obviously the design and and keeping the product in stock. You've got a lot of guts, right? If you're li- if you're Terrence's kids and you're listening Your dad's got a lot of guts, but it's easier to take risk when you're doing the analysis. So those analytical skills you had and already that you utilized in college and then you utilize at Deloitte and Touche, you kept analyzing and deciding. You you keep making decisions. You're not you're making Mercedes. You're not making Mercedes. You go Fiat. You're focusing on these niches because it's a more calculated risk. And every every as I hear you talking, you're taking just little slivers all the time. You're not you're not shooting shotgun blast. You're sniper blasting at certain segments. So you, why did you pick the high end market and the high cost market, especially through a recession, as opposed to more of the Kmart brand or the general brand? Is it just because you like high end better? Or what was the calculation you understood? <laughs> Another way to say what I think you're trying to articulate is. You just got to make sure that your brains are bigger than your balls. We're, we're trying to keep it clean because your kids are young. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, one of the reasons we focused on on those niches is we 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 had a very large competitor who was who we had in fact sold ah, to in the end. Okay. And we were one of the things you always want to do is you you don't want to get in a boxing ring with Mike Tyson. So 
you, you want to stay away from very large competitors who have a dominant position. So what we try to do is, at times we go toe-to-toe with them, but we try to move around them and do the things that they weren't doing. Um, so, you know, you, you don't want to be headbutting a competitor because in the end, you know, you both lose. And if they're bigger than you, they, they'll probably win. So it, it's really important not to, you know, try and get in a slugfest with someone because in the end, there's not one customer. You're focusing on different customers in different points in time and you want to attract the customers that, that are looking for the things that you have. Yeah. So your entrepreneurial story, and I think I met you in 2001. Is that right when you joined YEO? No, no. It would have been in the late 90s. I think I met you in the late 90s. So you joined before you owned the company? Um, while I was running the company. I started the company in, in 91. So just to back up a little bit, you're beginning with the end in mind and your entrepreneurial story is very similar to a lot of mine too. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, let's do a business together. Oh, cool. I'm 20 years old. I think I can do that. I like wheels. Um, that's very natural, right? What's not natural is the minute focus. Everybody wants, all I need to do is get 10% of the market of US water and I'll be rich. Okay, let's minutely focus down. Um, so that's not natural. And what else is not natural is, they, and they say this a lot, begin with the end in mind. So you carve out a niche where you're not competing with Mike Tyson. They're making mid-level, low-level wheels. And I probably shouldn't say it that way. They're not making the absolute high-end wheels And so you see an area that's not serviced where people are going to leave you alone if you service that area. Secondly, and I know Terrence, I guarantee he's thinking right from day one, these guys are going to buy me. So he decides to be the master in the area that they need to be in. And I always laugh at I want to retire by the time I'm 35 and, and live off of my wealth. You'll get there but just not by 35, it takes a while to build that niche to the point where they have to take you out. Is that what happened? Did they have to take you out? No, I, I wouldn't say that. And, and you know, when, when I was building the company, I wasn't building it to sell it. I, I was, I really enjoyed what I did. And that was, you know, when I started out, it was before private equity had come into our industry. So there was no, at any point, obviously anybody builds a company thinks that, you know, one day it might sell, but Early on, there was there was nobody snapping up wheel companies, so I was just building it as a sort of a lifestyle business, and just trying to do a really good job and have fun while I was doing it. Okay, and uh, I, I want to take a pause on design because uh, my little angel Jake is uh, into design. Were you actually designing the wheels with your own hand? Um, yes, I was. Yeah. Are you good at drawing? No, but I'm good at designing. So there's a difference between drawing and designing. So, so what happened was early on when we were really small and we had very limited resources, I went and uh, did some courses at Art Center um, Pasadena, which is one of the best industrial design schools in the world. They had a, a night program. Ironically, I, I think some of those classes were hosted at Oakley up the street from where our office was. So I, I did some classes there, learned how to draw, and then um, basically taught myself how to start designing wheels. And, you know, I had a good eye for design, and I, but I, I wasn't a great artist. But there is a fundamental difference between somebody who can draw stuff and somebody who can create new ideas. Um, so we were pretty good at creating new ideas. And then as we grew, I was able to start hiring full-time designers. 
And, you know, and that's when we really grew. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you shouldn't bring in other people that are potentially going to be better than you at it. Yeah, I took Jake and, uh, and a couple of people over to Scott's little museum, and he made a big point that if you're that he wanted to be in design, but he didn't know how to draw and made a big point that you have to know how to draw to be in design. Um, and I've heard about architects, too, but maybe that's just clothing design or maybe it's not true in your opinion. No, it is true because it comes down to how you're going to articulate what's in your head. So ultimately, you got to put it on paper. And what I was doing, I was drawing the product. I was doing 2D cross sections and then sending it to the factories to draw up the 3Ds and do the engineering on the product. So, yeah, you you, you got to you got to be able to draw to communicate it. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to communicate it, no matter what. You do. So you don't have to be an artist, but you have to be able to do the basic drawing if you want to go into design. Correct. So, I mean, there's a lot of great designers, uh, you know, people like Versace was not a designer. I think he was a textile merchant. Um, Ralph Lauren apparently is not a great artist, but these people can obviously design. Okay. Well, that, that is wonderful. This is going to be a helpful episode for my wonderful child. Okay. So real quick, and I know we got to button this up in a few minutes here. If you want to find Terrence, you can go check out checkerprop.com. Terrence isn't in the wheel business anymore. One day somebody came and said, you know what, Terrence, we love your company so much. We need to have it. And it was kind of a surprise, wasn't it, Terrence? A little bit. It was a, it was a trend going on in the industry for a while. And, you know, it, 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 like I said, it, it wasn't our intention to build something to sell it. And it just sort of, it, it happened over time and ended up selling. So, so Terrence has someone come approach him. They love the company. They love the brands, all the TSW brands, including Black Rhino. And they make him an offer that he can't refuse. So all of a sudden, not at 35 years old, just a little bit older than 50, all of a sudden, in addition to the industrial buildings he already owned that he was renting out to his company, that's how you do it. You buy it and rent it out to your company. He ends up with a bunch of capital that he has to deploy, which is a wonderful problem to have. If you get to the point where you have capital to deploy, or even better, you have too much capital to deploy, Terrence goes back into one of the things he's excellent at. Terrence goes back into something he's really good at where he knows what the customers want and he can be best at delivering what the customers want industrial real estate. And now you spent the last few years, you're up to what, 2 million square feet of real estate, buying real estate with the proceeds of your prior passion, the prior thing that you developed for many years. And it took you 30 years to get to the point where you were the best in the wheel business, or maybe you were the best for a while, but 30 years to where someone took you out because they're tired of you being the best and they want to be the best. And then you get into the real estate business, which you've also been doing for quite a long time. So you're able to have this runway. And when you sell your business, one of, one of uh, Terrence's neighbors is a friend of mine, Joe John. Joe John says, and he interviewed, I think, 2,000 people, and he wrote his book, uh, Start It, Sell It, and Make a Mint, which he says is a crap book. Um, but it was his first book. He interviewed 2,000 CEOs, and he said the ones that were the most successful after exiting had another plan. So as you're exiting, did you know you were going to be uh, go into the real estate business and occupy your time uh, in the real estate industry? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always enjoyed the real estate. It's, you know, it's just kind of a creative business, especially when you're developing stuff. But just to backtrack a little bit on, on selling the business, you know, the, the one thing 
that, that happens when you build a business and, you know, you build brands and you, you have, you're working with a, a bunch of people that you really like is that you're very conscious of who you're selling to. So we, we didn't run a process to, you know, find the highest bidder. You know, the, the guys who bought our company were people I knew, liked, respected, understood the industry and, you know, they'd look after the people and the brands was sort of more my focus. And, you know, we, we weren't looking for the highest bidder. We were, we were looking for, we weren't actually looking for anyone, but it, it was people that are respected and, you know, were competent that, um, that's what drove that decision. But, but yes, and all along I had, and, and I already at that point I was spending most of my time on the real estate, um, because we had a very competent team at TSW who could run the business. Um, so they, you know, I'd become much less critical to TSW and much more critical to the real estate business, which was only a couple people, me and one other, which we've, we've grown today. But yes, I think that is important to, you know, when you sell to understand what you're going to do, because a lot of people who sell don't know what they're going to do or won't sell because they don't know what they're going to do. So I, I really enjoyed spending time on the real estate. I also had young kids. So I want to spend more time with my kids. So that that's also what drove the decision. My kids are 10 and 12 and um, I still have this opportunity to spend time with them, but, but that's done in, you know, eight years time when they're off to college. Yeah. When you are excellent and you're building an excellent business, you care more about the survival of the business than you do about a few extra zeros. I mean, you're never going to be able to spend it anyway. You want that legacy to live on. And I know you got to take off in three minutes. So I got to hit you up with one last question before you take off. What sacrifices did you make in your twenties that you'll never regret? And there's probably a few you already mentioned. Yeah. To be honest, I don't think I made too many sacrifices. I was always focused on keeping a good balanced life. Um, you know, I didn't work massive hours. Um, again, it's, you know, it's not about how many hours you work. It, you know, it's about being smart and you got to take risk. So, you know, I didn't make too many sacrifices. I, I always took a lot of time off. And, you know, so the, the, I think that the important thing to understand is there is no destination. There is only the journey. So, you know, a lot of people think, well, I'm going to really, you know, work hard, make huge sacrifices. And then I'm going to get this pot of gold at the end. And that's the destination. In my experience, the life doesn't really work like that. You, you better enjoy the journey because there is no destination. Yeah. And it's not ending at 35. You're going to be around a long time and you're not going to have anything to do if it ends at 35. So if you're listening, plan on heading into work in your 70s because you will. You better find something you love. You better find something that you're excellent at, that your customers care about. And Terrence, I really appreciate you coming on. One last little plug. Terrence and I are purposeful friends. We hear people talking on the show all the time about you are who you hang out with. Terrence and I made a conscious decision to spend more time together because we went to too many funerals and we decided we wanted to stop seeing people at funerals. I really appreciate the strategic friendship I have with you to lift each other up. I teach you how to ski. You teach me how to invest. I'm looking forward to seeing you on Sunday. Thank you very much for coming on the edge of excellence. Pleasure, man. Thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the edge of excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. 
If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.